Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 76 movies, one cage. This is episode 68, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance from 2012, directed by Neville Dean and Taylor. I'm Mike Manzi. I'm Joey Lewandowski, and back with us are Ghost Rider resident expert Melissa Lynham. Hello, Melissa. Hey, guys. Hey. So now this movie is one of five movies that Cage did in 2011. That's the last one he did in 2011. And it's also the second sequel. And you've been on for all four franchise movies. You've been on for the two National Treasures, the two Ghost Riders. Where does this rank, Melissa, in your four favorite Cage Club movies that you've been on so far? Ooh, maybe an over two. I like National Treasure more, I think. Okay, but you like this more than the first Ghost Rider oh. and probably more than National Treasure 2? Yeah. 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 Now, Mike, you hadn't seen this yet? That is correct. I haven't seen this. And I saw about it. I, watching it, I realized I saw about one or two scenes from it, but completely out of context. I had no idea what was happening. And this is this is my first complete viewing. And uh, and I feel like, you know, I might have been a little hard on Ghost Rider when we were doing that episode. I, I just wanted to say I, I went back and watched most of the theatrical cut and I could just tell it kind of flowed a lot better for me and that it might have been my review might have been a little more favorable. I think if I had watched that version, I just noticed like things are moving along and I was getting into it a lot better. But here we are, Ghost Rider 2. Now, Melissa asked me when we were talking about this movie ahead of time, she said, do you think Mike hated it because it wasn't a Western? <laughs> and I said, no, I heard from him that he actually really liked it. He liked it more than the first one. Yeah, I do like it more than the first one. And, and not to sort of tip my hat too much, but I really like the end of this movie. And I think that put me over the top. I, I finally got to see the one thing that I really wanted to see, aside <laughs> from it being in the 1800s. What's kind of great about this movie is that most of the story just acts like the first movie never happened. That not only are they like ignoring things from the first movie, but they're also changing the story from the first one. In the first movie, the contract that Johnny Blaze signs with the devil, he accidentally cuts his finger and blood just drips in the line. In this movie, he's got like this like broody, angsty side and just smashes a bottle and like rubs his hand on the glass and just basically throws blood at the paper. So it's like a completely different experience, a completely different backstory. But this movie is a lot like darker and scarier and creepier, and I think the new backstory works really well for this. It doesn't matter how far you run. There are some demons you just can't escape. My name is Johnny Blaze. I used to ride a motorcycle for a living. I did a bare ass 360 triple backflip in front of 22,000 people. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's on YouTube. Check it out. But when my dad got sick, I did something way crazier than that. You look like you could use a little help. Are you willing to make a deal, John? That a boy. Do it. Save his life. <laughs> Do it! Yeah, that is right. I'm the guy who made the deal with the devil. Now, I know what you're thinking. Doesn't this kid watch movies? Does this ever work out fine? Let's just say good judgment was not exactly my forte. I was possessed by an ancient demon. In the presence of evil, I change into a monster, and I prey on the wicked, and I suck out their souls. And you don't want to be around when that happens. See, there's good and bad in all of us. And maybe you're not a murderer, but you did something you wouldn't want the writer to see. A white lie, an illegal download. What about you? And you. I've tried to fight it, to hold it back. But the darkness inside me only gets stronger. That's why I had to run halfway across the world. I was flipping out when I saw that <laughs> that scene. I could not wait to get on G-Shot and just like vent about it to you because it, it was crazy. I couldn't believe they did it. And then for the rest of the movie... I was like, I should also pretend the first movie doesn't exist because it's getting ruined because there's absolutely no continuity, nothing. The pace was better, which I think is why I liked it more than that it's first a, one. Pace is a big thing, and this movie, I saw this movie in theaters, so just like Drive Angry, I was one of the like 12 people <laughs> who saw this in theaters in 3D, and I remember liking it more than the first one at that time, but I don't really remember loving it. And I think that's because I had seen at least one, if not both, Crank movies by then. I'm not sure if the timeline, you know, sort of makes sense there. 
but I, I was sort of expecting, you know, because like this movie is not as good as the Crank movies. But then again, like nothing is as good as the Crank movies. But this movie is just everything about it is just so much fun and so much faster and crazier than the first. And it's, I think it's sort of hard not to love it. You need to be in it for the right reasons. Like you can't go in expecting like good dialogue, good character development. You need to be on board for action all the way through. And it was fine. I liked it. At first, I was actually kind of bummed that they started messing around with the first movie a little bit, you know? I was like, oh, no, Eva Mendez. And sort of at the end of that one, he was riding off to go be a hero. But in this one, we find out he rode off to sort of go into hiding. And you're right, they changed the whole thing with the contract. So they sort of changed the entire character in a lot of ways. And it was just sort of jarring at first. But then I come to sort of realize, you know, this is kind of like when new writers come in and take over a comic book. So it's almost like this is their issue of Ghost Rider. And what happens a lot in comics as well is a character will sort of get retooled to fit the new run of issues in a way. And so I felt just that's sort of what was going on here. And them explaining the backstories and all of the sort of differences they made from the first movie, they're explaining them all in comic book panels. And that also made me accept it a little easier. That intro, the, the opening voiceover, where he basically... You, it's, it sounds like it seems like... He's recapping the first movie, but it's not the same story. But it's basically catching you up to speed on, like, what you would have missed. And he's like, yeah, I did this bare-ass flip in front of all these people, and, like, kids covered their eyes, and, like, I'm this rock star, I'm this rebel, but I didn't always make great decisions. And it's like, oh, like, this is this is just their take on Johnny Blaze. And I didn't think about that, Mike, but that's, that's a really good idea, or really good point of view, that it's like the comic book, like, it's the same character with the same abilities, but it's, like, a different tone, it's a different story, it's a different kind of backstory... And it just works for this. Yeah, and I think that's what's interesting about the character as well is he's got all this potential and like he can work many different ways, right? So it's just that he's different. It's not that it's any worse or any better in my mind, really. It's still Ghost Rider, and, and I think it's kind of cool how, how you can use this image and portray the character in a completely different way, and, and it'll still work. There's nobody from the first movie, aside from Nicolas Cage, that's involved with the second movie. The only thing at all that's close is that David S. Goyer, who I think wrote Man of Steel as well, uh, was an executive producer on the first and then co-wrote the screenplay and created the story for this. So he sort of is the only either, on, I think on either side of things, that's involved in both. So it's like really sort of drawn, like going back to step one. Like I wonder why that happened. I wonder if they, because the budget for this is about half. So I don't know if they just didn't have money to pay these people. I don't know if they didn't want to be involved. I don't know what was really going on if they wanted to sort of go overseas, and maybe they didn't like the way the first movie turned out, and they just wanted to do things their own way. I don't know, but it's kind of like a refreshing change of pace and a fresh slate for this franchise. Did you find in your research why they waited so long to do this movie? No, I didn't. I I know that this is one of only two movies that Marvel Knights, with a K, Marvel Knights, like I think just sort of a darker, grittier... Yeah, I think Marvel label this and Punisher Warzone, yeah, which is also awesome. I don't know. I guess they just sort of wondered. Uh, Mike, you haven't, you know? I have a, I sort of had a theory. <laughs> I love to throw out these theories every episode. I, I sort of had a, an idea about why this might have been. Uh, I don't think anyone was rushing to make a Ghost Rider 2. I believe the first movie was pretty respectable, but for the most part, the Marvel Cinematic Universe was forming and taking shape, and I think most people just wanted the rights of this character to revert back to Marvel proper so that they could use them. And I think at this point they actually have so this movie could have been made to hold on to the rights a little bit longer or the studio may have gotten enough uh, just enough cash together to make this movie and and put it out there but it's definitely you know it's much lower budget i watched a little behind the scenes and it seems like much more of a running gun independent type of film possibly the other reason is that to entirely retool the character there could have been hopes to integrate the nick cage ghost rider into the marvel universe and have them face off against Robert Downey Jr. and and those guys. What's interesting, I really don't know, and I think I think those points are pretty good, Mike. I'm not sure what the exact reason was. I would love to see Cage in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I guess we're not going to get that, but hey, whatever. <laughs> so I, these are kind of numbers that I would throw out at the end, but the first movie had a budget of 110. It made 115 in America and 228 worldwide. So if you go by the rule of thumb of basically doubling your budget for marketing, that barely made its money back. This one budget slashed almost in half, fifty-seven million, made fifty-one million domestic, eighty million worldwide. 
So it made just over double. So it's not like this was also a blockbuster either, but it made a little bit more percentage-wise. I don't, I don't know. But what's also weird is that the first movie didn't get great ratings, but this got even worse ratings, both on Metacritic and on IMDb. <sighs> but I really think that this is a much better... Melissa said it earlier, you, you sort of need to know what you're going in for, but I think this is a much more fun... Sort of, I don't want, I don't know if better movie, but like I would give this a better score, like on IMDb. I think it was a lot more enjoyable. That's the big thing, and I definitely think it's the pace. And I liked the action. Like I would watch this again before I would watch that first one again. Yeah, I think it m- might be because of that first one squeezed in so much origin, and and I'm laughing about it now because uh, look how quick and easy this movie did the origin story, and how long it took the original film to do an origin. And so it just felt like the focus of the first film was on the wrong stuff. And here they're getting right to the action. They know what they want to do with this film. Like the story is very simple, right? I mean, we've even seen this once or twice before on Cage Club. It, it's basically the omen or the devil or the rise or just like hell on you know he's got to stop hell from being unleashed on earth again almost like in the first yep, movie yep. You know? so it, it isn't so much like i feel like it's not the story per se which is making this better but the filmmaking itself it just feels much more tactile it feels grittier it feels much more in the vein of what i would imagine ghost rider deserves you know scarier more hardcore more out of control and I think that goes to the screenplay. I think the screenplay makes more sense, the story that they're trying to tell. But it's also a big credit to Neville Dean and Taylor, who are using, like, handheld cameras in this movie like crazy. And, like, they're, like you're in the action. Like, they've got cameras basically, like, not, not a GoPro, but, like, they've got, like, handheld cameras basically on a tire, in there, like, on chase scenes, in shootouts. It's just, like, crazy, and everything is frenetic, and it just works. Like, it's, just, it's great. What I love about their handheld style is how unshaky cam it is, right? Like, in some way, it's just got a smoothness or, like, a grace to it in, in the way that it's cut together. These two guys, like, really seem to function as one unit, and, and it comes across because it feels like this was shot by one camera operator or one DP, where, in fact, it's the two guys at the same time. Yeah, man, they are, they are like, so in I don't know what their directing style is. But I'm guessing that they're both, like, co-directors, they both had the same vision. And, like, it just, like, the whole movie is consistent, and the way that they shoot things, the way they tell the story, it just works. And, like, it's a seamless product from start to finish. The movie stars, or also stars, Idris Elba, who's kind of a big name, but I was sort of surprised, I guess, a little bit, that he never has and never will act with Cage. But he is sort of, like, is he, this movie, like, I didn't really exactly 100% follow everything in the story, but I also didn't care because it was just fun to watch. Is he, he's got supernatural powers, right? Or No. Yeah, no, I don't think so. No. I think he's just, yeah, he's just a badass priest from France. Named yep. Okay, so then why are his eyes crazy? Contact lenses? I don't think that <laughs> well, played it all into the plot. <laughs> I actually had a theory that he might be a rider, right? Like he was the Euro rider or something like that, or he was going to become one. And that was just sort of a hint or a glimpse, or maybe it was just a way to say this guy is just freaky, supernatural, something about him. But he seemed to just be a guy of extreme physical prowess to me. Okay, because at one point he does promise Cage, and this is something also kind of interesting and different from the first movie. In this movie, Cage sort of seems like he doesn't want the power anymore. That maybe, I mean, time has gone by, and I can sort of see this here, but at the end of the first movie, Cage gets the opportunity to give up the power. He's like, no, this world needs vengeance, basically, right? I need to be at Spirit of Vengeance, I need to save the innocent and punish the guilty or whatever. But in this movie, the movie starts, and he's sort of, I guess, just tired of being Ghost Rider. Maybe he didn't realize what five years of being a Ghost Rider actually would do to him. But in the beginning of the movie, he's like, I don't, I don't want to be Ghost Rider anymore. And the way that Idris Elba gets him to help him is by offering him the ability to remove that curse. Yeah, I thought that was a good motivator for Johnny Blaze because uh, they set him up as wanting to get rid of it. So here, here comes this guy, and, and we know by the previous scene that he is part of this like ancient order. They're trying to protect this, or they need to get the devil's son to a sanctuary. It sounds like Season of the Witch. Like They have to <laughs> escort this boy right across the land. And so he comes to Ghost Rider, and he's like, you know, we need you to sort of hone in on his demon soul so that you can track him, and, and then we can get him and take him to the place. So, yeah, he bribes him by saying, if you do this for us, I'll, I'll do that for you. And when we get to it, I have a lot of issues with how it happens, 
I, I thought it was a good idea that here's a guy who, who has the abilities. Somehow he's going to be able to unghost ride this guy. That's why I think that he's got some kind of power, but I guess not. I guess he just is sort of power... I don't even know how to say it. Like, power adjacent? Like, he just sort of knows how to... Like, he obviously... I did get a sense, I think, Mike, you said it. I I got the sense he might have been a ghostwriter. At the very least, he knows all about ghostwriter mythology. And he knows, I guess, how to revert that curse. It's just... I don't know. It's weird. Also, the monks... Like, are the monks in this movie powerful? Or they just sort of have this ancient knowledge and they're just there to help or whatever? The ones with the tattoo faces or the ones from the beginning? Or are those the same? I don't know. <laughs> well, exactly, right? I mean, I feel like it was a fail. Like, one of the things they missed out on was not giving Idris Elba some type of power. You know, whatever it is. He doesn't have to turn into Ghost Rider, but, you know, it would be cool if he knew some magic or had some spells or something like that, right? I don't want to say he needs to, like, shoot lasers out of his eyes, <laughs> but maybe he has, like, a healing factor. And they definitely should have have gone with that. But what he is really good at is getting not thrown off his motorcycle over a cliff and then turning and shooting guns sort of Matrix style. That's like in the first like three or four minutes of the movie and that's just, that's awesome. They do stuff like that a lot through the movie and I liked it and I liked when they showed him when he survives. I forget what song was playing, some stupid song. He's like hanging out in a tree <laughs> off the side of the cliff. It was funny. Well, what I think is kind of cool about the way the movie starts is that we see this guy on a motorcycle. We're like, oh, it's got to be Johnny Blaze, it's got to be Ghost Rider. And then he takes off his helmet and he just it's like, wait, like, who is this guy now? Because they kind of set him up as like this badass daredevil, and if it's not Johnny Blaze, like this guy's got to be a pretty close comparison or companion for him, right? You would think. I was surprised too. <laughs> and then like two seconds later, it's Giles from Buffy, and I was it was just good, just as good as seeing Rebel Wilson in that first movie. <laughs> then it, it got sad moments later. The thing I kept coming back to with Moreau, the Idris Alba, is uh, the guy from the first one, Sam Elliott. He is sort of the Ghost Rider's guide through this story, and it's—I don't know—I think it kind of—it's kind of a funny thing. Like, I don't know if it's in the comics. If go, everywhere Ghost Rider goes, he—you know—it's—he needs a guide. Like, I'm getting Bangkok Dangerous vibes here. You know, he needs—he needs a contact from that area to do his work in. But that's where I kept going. Is just like they're taking what they liked from the first movie, and then they're changing what they don't and they're not doing like a remake but sort of just like this here's the way maybe neville dean and taylor would have stripped that first script and boiled it down and just you know we're getting like just as much as we need to get through this yeah there's hard it's hard to watch this movie and not think about it as just sort of a neville dean and taylor basically saying hey this is how like the first movie should have been done that this movie is like so them and it's still true to the ghost rider character but like there are punches all over, both in the way that they create characters and shoot scenes and everything. It's just basically, hey guys, you should have had us do the first one. Now we could be doing a second one. Like It could be like this crazy big franchise. I wish we lived in a world where there was only one Ghost Rider movie, and it was this one. Well, the thing about this that I love the most, I'd have to say, is the redesign of the Ghost Rider's look. You know, I, I the first one he looked great, but... After seeing him here and then going back, it's like, wow, he was just, he really looked CGI'd and polished and way too shiny in the original. In, in this one, he really looks like he is part of the world. Like he would, you know, like you could open your door and see something like this uh, outside. I, I don't know about you guys, but I just felt like, you know, if not for nothing, like it's just amazing to me every time Ghost Rider is on, on screen here. It's just like awesome. Well, what's really cool, I think, what works well here is that they never really show his full transformation. Instead, they show this, like, really creepy, frenetic... I guess it's all the handy cam, like you, like you were saying before, not shaky, but just, like, this different kind of feel that's, like, real close and real intimate. We see, like, his face basically... You know, I, don't, I don't even know how to describe it, just, like, his eyes bugging out and, like, him trying to, like, fight the transformation. And we never see him transform, and that was such a big part of the first movie is better in this movie. Like, I don't need to see the transformation. I want to see, like, these weird things, and then I want to see this terrifying Ghost Rider, sort of the afterproduct. Yeah, it was, like, in the first movie, when he was transforming, you, like, it immediately went from cage face to skeleton, and then that scene that you're talking about, where they sort of show it, like, parts of his face are changing, that's what I wanted from the first movie, to see his insane facial expressions while he's fighting it off. I think then he turned, so it was an unsuccessful fight, but I liked watching it. And I think what really helps out with sort of the image of Ghost Rider in this is something that I think you guys had a, were wondering about in the first one. Like, if you touch him, is it hot? Does he burn your hand? Like, can he control that? You know, and in this movie, it feels like he can't because there's lots more smoke 
coming off of his head. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I think that helps a lot. And then his jacket is like constantly melting, right? Like that yeah. gives yeah. it the sense that he is hot and, you know, he is a presence and he is actually there. What's awesome is they have that one shot of his bike and then they sort of pan up his body and the entire bike is like scorched and his whole like his leathered pants and his leather jacket are all scorched. <laughs> like I didn't think about it then, but now thinking about it and talking about it with you guys you have to wonder, like, how many leather jackets has he gone through in five years that just, like, have become unusable because he tra- just transforms in them? Yeah, I mean, the aesthetic in this film is just great. It just feels real to me, like, burned, you know, like, scorched, like you said, like, all that. And, and like, at the end here, like, he could drive right into Mad Max at some point, you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting off of his bike and off of him and, and all that. Like, I'm getting this Mad Max feel, and uh, and it fits this character really well. What I really liked about this movie, as opposed to the first movie, is that Ghost Rider has, like, ultimate command of his abilities. I know that Melissa hated in the first movie that Blackheart had these goons that were basically there just so that Ghost Rider could take on one-on-one and, like, whip up, like, a fire tornado and kill them. But in this movie, like, toward the end, and then we're jumping ahead, there's, like, he's, like, surrounded by, like, 15 or 20 guys, and he just, like, whips his chain around, and they're just all dead. Like, he, he's been doing this for five years. He knows exactly how to control this chain. We're only going to see him be at peak Ghost Rider. Like, no origin story, no learning how to do things. This is just the best Ghost Rider you can be. I think that his major foes in this movie, other than that decaying guy, was giant rockets. I don't know what those big-ass guns that they were shooting at him. Because he was just slicing through people, like you said, with that chain. It did nothing. The only thing that was really hurting him was those guns. I don't even think they hurt him that bad. Yeah, I almost thought he was a little too powerful when he comes out with those chains. But you're right, he is sort of at his peak here. And I did like that he could get hurt on some level by actual weapons like they could use you know like as cheesy as it kind of is like all they have to use are guns so it's kind of interesting you can harm something supernatural with a bullet if if you shoot it you know hard enough at him or something the one thing i get out of this movie is he's got some new powers by far the coolest thing they came up with is that he can ghost out anything he drives. Like that ghost out, like, it's sort of the construction machine that Big Daddy was using to crush people and kick ass, or, you know, that they were using to crush people and gone in 60 seconds. It's like this giant mechanical caterpillar-like device, whatever, and he just turns the entire thing into, like, this flaming inferno. Like, it's amazing. I thought that was really great, and I'm really, like, at the end, he turns a Humvee into, like, a Ghost Rider Humvee, so we we get the bike, (laughs) the car, and this sort of excavator thing, you know, maybe next time he'll ghost out a boat or a helicopter, that would be awesome. Another awesome ability of his that he might have had in the first movie, who knows, is that, (laughs) it's the coolest scene in the movie, is that the guy has, like, an SMG, like, in his mouth, and just shoots him full of bullets, And he basically, like, eats the bullets and then spits them back out as fire bullets. Like, that's just, that's just, like, that's so cool. Like, nobody would think of that. Like, it takes somebody like Neville Dean and Taylor, who have gone through, like, these crazy extents of, like, how can we make Crank 2 crazier than Crank? Like, what can we do to make this movie even crazier and keeping Jason Statham alive? And, like, I wonder if, like, some of the ideas in this movie or some of their other movies, if they were sort of, like, they don't fit in the crank world, but they fit somewhere else. Like, oh, like, what if a guy, like, ate bullets and then spit out fire bullets? <laughs> and then they got to write a Ghost Rider movie, or they got to make a Ghost Rider movie. Like, we're putting that in because this is perfect. Yeah, not only does Ghost Rider get to sort of vomit flames, but at the end, the, the Omen Child does the same thing, too, right? <laughs> I mean, he does, like throwing up into Johnny Blaze's mouth at the end to restore his abilities. Yeah, I just really love what they're doing with the Ghost Rider. Uh, he feels separate from Johnny Blaze in this film. Like, it really feels like the Ghost Rider's in, like, a trance or something, you know? That's really kind of scary. He's just standing there, swaying back and forth, uh, and then he runs up on a guy, and, and he does the penance stare, but it's cool. They don't show us the penance stare, because if we've seen the first movie, we know what it is, but if we're watching this, it just looks like the Ghost Rider is insane. <laughs> like he's just looking at this guy for like five minutes while everyone else is like losing their shit about what is going <laughs> on there, you know? And you're like, oh, I was at least like, this is the way they're doing the penance there. Like it's so subtle. Like you don't even know he's doing it. I, I thought that was pretty funny. Oh man, I love this movie so much. Like the, like the plot is like nothing. Like I think we brought it up before that there's a woman who basically slept with the devil. 
And this guy, it's a different actor, but it's supposedly the same guy that gave Johnny Blaze his abilities, right? Yeah, they do a little retcon of the devil in this as well, <laughs> right? They say it is the same guy, but he sort of has different vessels every time he comes to planet Earth. And when he's on Earth, he's very weak, so he has to create, like, ghost riders and decaying men to go out and sort of do his bidding. Um, and and that, that I liked because just all they had to say in the last movie is that the devil is weak on Earth, and that's why Ghost Rider could sort of defy him at the end and, and keep his abilities and stuff. Because I had a little issue with, you know, the devil just being like, fine, keep him. <laughs> <laughs> So I, that was kind of a nice retcon for me, and and, and it made the devil. It, it didn't make him invulnerable too, you know. Like you could actually kill him or send him back to hell in this movie. Like this movie is like better or like not uh, smarter is the wrong word, but like smarter within the context of like what the story they're telling is. Like this is just like a a more cohesive. I'm gonna say smarter story, but the plot here is that some woman slept with the devil had a kid who's the devil's son, who apparently has the ability to maybe rule the world or bring evil to the world. Idris Elba's trying to protect him and bring him to these monks. They get chased away, and then they have to go to some other group of monks. They die. Like, it's just... And then, like, the bad guys... Like, it's just bringing this kid to different groups of people to keep him out of evil's hands, and then when he finally gets caught in evil's hands, Cage has to break him free and sort of hope that he chooses good over evil. It's kind of like a nothing story, but, like, the way that they intertwine the action and just sort of keep you interested. It's just great. It kind of reminded me at one point of like Midnight Run. I don't know if you ever saw that with Robert De Niro, but it's basically just that he's a bounty hunter and he has to go get this guy and bring him from one side of America to the other side and like he won't fly, so they have to take a car. And he, the guy just keeps switching hands like across the, the country as they're trying to get him back to Los Angeles and everything. And I was sort of getting that vibe where it's not the plot. It's like all the other stuff that uh, that's cool that's going on, you know? So like in Midnight Run, it's like we have this very basic story to hang all these jokes on and it works and in this it's like okay we have this very basic story to hang all like this really insane cool fighting yeah. imagery like wild gothic eastern european like madness on and, and it's cool because you know they don't try to make it more than it is they just want you to be watching something going like that is cool looking and that kicks ass and, and i think they succeeded i think this might have come at a time or maybe it's just the, the neville demon taylor effect where like you don't really care what the story is, that you're not necessarily going here. You go to see a Marvel movie today, like, you go to see Ant-Man because you want to see, like, an origin story. You want you go to see Captain America 2 because you want to see, like, a character study. You want to see, like, a story, a narrative. I feel like, I don't know if it was just at a different time, like, a different kind of Marvel brand or whatever, but I feel like people weren't necessarily requiring, maybe they wanted a story. I don't know. Maybe that's why I got bad reviews, but, like, I'm just, I'm totally okay with just all right, here's just a bunch of crazy action scenes that just link together because we're sort of going somewhere. Like, that's totally fine for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm going with everything basically up until the point where Johnny Blaze walks into the chamber to lose his powers. I don't mind that he loses his powers. I just don't understand how he loses his powers. And, and I don't need to know 100%. Uh, I was getting a vibe of, like, Superman 2. In that movie, he walks into sort of, like, this chamber and loses his powers, right? That's all you need. To, you don't need to know how this machine works. All you need to know is, like, well, I guess they tell you the red sun rays of Krypton radiate his body and loses power. But I'm getting the same vibe from this movie without the explanation, you know? And it, I don't... Like I said, like, Spider-Man loses his power. Everybody, it was very in vogue for the hero to sort of lose their power in the sequel right. and then gain it back at the end. So I'm not upset they do it. I'm just confused as to how it happens. And it's like the one, it's like the one part I wish they paid a little more attention to. How did they do it? Like, does he just like eat something, or does he just get told a prayer? I don't even remember how he loses his powers. He had Moreau giving like the spirit of vengeance spirit of justice i think it was like yeah. backstory and then at some point he was like you need to confess so we had to like, confess about how he signed the contract to become ghostwriter not for his dad but like for himself for like selfish reasons and then they had a snack bread <laughs> and then he went into like a very open windowed room and then they had a seizure i'm not sure oh yeah that yeah. crazy like black and white scene right yeah, yeah. This is where I feel like Moreau should have had the ability to sort of strip him of this spirit in some way. Like, Moreau was secretly like an angel. That would have been perfect, you know? And yeah. mm -hmm. I really do like this. I like that we get the origin of the spirit that inhabits Cage, too. Like, he was an angel that got tricked and corrupted and controlled by the devil and stuff. Like, that's cool and informative and stuff. And it just would have been great if Idris Elba was.
was like, we used to fight side by side. You know, I was his brother in arms. Like, ever since then, I've been trying to, you know, reach him and whoever inhabits the spirit, like, change him back to the angel I knew he was. Like, that would have been cool. They do a communion, he confesses, <laughs> yeah. and he just walks into that room and, right, he, like, comes under a trance. I mean, they don't even have, like, a, the, the tattooed monks aren't even chanting or anything. And, you know, I thought at least something needed to be going on. Your idea about Idris Elba is better than mine. I was going to say, like, maybe he's the new spirit of justice. But I like that they were, like, he's sort of this guy who's been waiting all those years that he's, like, basically hunting down his old friend and trying to... I like that better, I think. Me too. I agree. Why didn't they do something? They had him right there. They could have done anything with him. Maybe they cut it out? I don't know. What I like is that earlier in the movie, we're talking about his, like, literal loss of powers here. Earlier in the movie, he winds up in a hospital... And he sort of has a figurative, like a cage club loss of powers, that he's hitting on that nurse. And like Cage, who's always had game, and she's just not reacting at all. And, he's, and she's like, oh, I'm going to call the police. And she's like, he's like, no, 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 police. Like, not only is it not working, but it's like going horribly wrong. Oh, you're awake. Hi. Uh, it's funny, because when you walked in, I, I, I thought I was still dreaming. You have hallucinating? No, no, man, I'm not hallucinating. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm flirting with you. Yes, uh, Fomasa. Play, play. Okay, morphine. Uh, two eye morphine. You got any morphine? Oh, no, no morphine. You already have. Delauded. Uh, Valium, what do you got? Your wounds. Very weird, mister. <sighs> the police want to talk to you when you wake up. No. I tell them you wake up. No! Uh, please. It's the language barrier. You can't blame her. She, she she just couldn't feel his charm in his perfect English. I think he even had to make it clear where he's like, in case you can't tell, I'm flirting with you. <laughs> oh, it's it's so good. Because he's always, like, sort of against all odds, always gets the girl. That no matter what he looks like, no matter what he's doing, he always sort of gets someone. And here, the nurse is just like, no, like, I have no interest in this. Like, I, I don't know if it's English. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but no thank you. It takes me back to National Treasure 2 when he's crashing the president's birthday and he uses the excuse to the Secret Service agent where he's like, you see a brunette come through here? Like, I got no game tonight. And also, like, later in the movie, like, it's just the whole movie, he's not really great at talking to women. The only other real woman in this movie is Danny's mom. And he's talking to her, and he's just like, oh, so, like, you're the devil's baby mama, huh? It was supposed to be a big score for Kerrigan, but it went bad. I made it out of a third-floor window. I was choking on my own blood. I knew I was going to die. I could feel it. And that's when he found me. You look like you could use a little help. Rourke. He promised to take the pain away to save my life. He asked for something in return. Son? Maybe you can never understand. No, I get it. You're the devil's baby mama. Obviously, like, she's probably had this, like, you know, this great regret all of her life. And, like, just saying it like that, like, probably not the best idea. Like, just not really a smooth operator. Maybe he sort of lost some social skills while spending time as Ghost Rider for five years. And he, when he leaves the hospital and he's saying that baby mama stuff with her in the car after, he's also like, I guess he took painkillers from the hospital and he's chewing them. And it really grosses me out when people are chewing pills in movies that are meant to be swallowed. I flash back to him eating je- or drinking jelly beans. Mm-hmm. But he's always doing weird things like these little, like, not liquids. Just yeah. he, he doesn't know how to eat, I guess, <laughs> or, or, like, how to swallow properly. I went to um, Bad Lieutenant. <laughs> he was just sort of looking for drugs and, like, needed painkillers. And, and actually, in this performance, kind of got a lot of Bad Lieutenant, some Big Daddy, sort of a cross between the two going on. Oh, so in that same conversation, in the same conversation he's talking to the woman about being the baby mama, they're talking about why does the devil do what he does, and they're sort of talking about that, and then they flash out that he's, like, taken many forms, and then they put a picture of Jerry Springer on there, and, like, it's just, <laughs> like, it, it's just like a JPEG that they pulled off of Google Images. Like, it's so weird and out of place. It made me laugh because, like, it, it doesn't belong, but it somehow also works. It's just crazy. They lingered on it for a few seconds, too, so you, like, really had time to, to process and laugh at it. I just didn't like how it sort of dated. The joke was just very dated. Like, I mean, they 
they throw like Hitler and Stalin and you know the devil and all this and then Jerry Springer. It feels like a Seth MacFarlane joke in a way. I, I, sure I, does. <laughs> but I feel like it's even like it's dated, but it's even dated for 2011. Like it's it's been dated for years. Well, I think it's it's funny. It's an inside joke. It's probably hilarious to Neville Dean Taylor and Cage. Like one day they were probably like sitting around going like, okay, so like who else has the devil been? And they're probably like Jerry Springer. Oh, that's terrific. I bet Geraldo came up. You know, I bet a whole bunch of like different talk show <laughs> hosts were suggested. And they also did like a similar joke later in the movie with the Twinkie. I was just like, why? No one's thinking about Twinkies being. I don't. What's the? It's well, not think, indestructible. Well, like they just don't go bad. Yeah, that's I think, it. I think, like people aren't actively thinking about that. But that's also. I mean, talking about Seth MacFarlane, I think that's a big joke from one of my favorite episodes of Family Guy, which I haven't seen in years and years and years. But like I think in the second season there was that post-apocalyptic episode Daboom, and they basically have to go find the Hostess factory because all of their food has died, <laughs> all of the food has been destroyed. So they have to go find the Twinkies. That it's that's a great scene where this guy has been like not the main bad guy, not the devil, but the main bad guy that Cage has been after, sort of facing off with, is killed and then resurrected, and everything he touches dies. And so he picks up a sandwich and it rots, like the bread gets moldy and just crumbles. He picks up an apple and like it sort of just dies, it rots from the inside out. Then he picks up a Twinkie and just, totally cool, just going to eat it because it can't go bad. Nothing can ruin it. I only laughed because it was so stupid. <laughs> well, yeah, of course it's stupid, but that's kind of the point, I think. I could have done without it, though. Well, I love the way he, he sort of pops it open and shoves it in his mouth and then, like, pulls the wrapper out and everything, because that, that's just, that is how you should eat a Twinkie. I mean, I just yeah. I just feel like this is this is Neville Dean and Taylor's sense of humor shining through. You know, these are just the moments where they can throw in their comedy and stuff, and they're crude dudes, you know? That's how it comes across. I mean, their most hilarious joke in this entire movie movie is the image of Ghost Rider kissing fire. And they think it's like so hilarious that they managed to shove it in here twice. You know? I love the image. I think it yeah. was funny, but like not nearly as funny as they must have. The machine last night? Yeah. You made it change. That's how it works. Whatever he rides changes with him. And what if he took a taxi? Uh I, I don't know. I don't know. Or a roller coaster, or a ski lift, or a camel, or a. Yeah. Hey, what if you have to pee when you're on fire? Oh, it's awesome. It's like a flamethrower. You know, it's like. A... Well, what I think is really telling is that the person on screen who gets the biggest kick out of that story is like the eight year old kid. <laughs> yeah. like, like, they're basically making this kind of movie for him that if I had saw this movie when I was, you know. 10, 11, 12, 13, like, I mean, it came out after that, but, like, if I saw this movie when I was, like, a, basically about to be a teenager, like, this would probably be my favorite movie of all time. Like, it just, it's, like, stupid in a, like, it's funny in a stupid way. It's crazy action. Like, I already love it now, but, like, if I saw it then, like, at Danny's age, I would have gone nuts for it. <laughs> yeah, this reminds me of, like, back then when I was his age, if I had seen, you know, a Nightmare on Elm Street movie or Friday the 13th. I remember going to sleepovers and someone sneaking those movies over and, like, everyone watching it and, like, we're all losing our minds and stuff because we shouldn't be watching this. And, and I feel like this is sort of a modern equivalent. You know, we aren't getting new Friday the 13th and stuff, so we're getting this Ghost Rider movie. And it is so, so good. And also for us adults, for us Cage Club fanatics, we get some crazy cage freakouts too totally in character with the ghost rider character totally in character with the the johnny blaze character it's when he is he's like he's not even ghost rider here he's just cage he's just johnny blaze and he just gets up in the guy's face and he's like you're a bad man and he's like he's just talking about like how he's got this devil this demon on the inside and it's scraping at the door trying to get out and just like you don't want to let it out like you don't want to see what's in me do you and it's amazing like this is a movie we talked about it with bad lieutenant with Werner herzog the directors are just like they're on the same page as cage like all right we're gonna let you just unleash the beast within here and just like channel everything you got and like put it on the screen here no one stopped him they definitely were like keep (laughs) going every scene where he had like a little freak out it just kept going <laughs> i love that scene when he's talking about scraping the door he was, like, started to sing it it was so funny i loved it kerrigan must have told me about that thing that killed his man last night huh yeah that thing is inside of me see you're a bad man and this thing the writer he feeds on them and he's hungry 
is hungrier than it's been in years, and that's why I'm shaking. Because right now, the only thing standing between you and the rider is me. And he's just... He's, he's scraping at the door! Scraping at the door! Who am I if you don't tell me what I want to know? I'm going to let him out. And when he's done with you, there won't be anything left. Do you understand? Do you understand? Shake your head yes or no. Uh-huh. Good. Good girl. Let's carry him. What's a kid? The kid can You will tell me I would eat just think it so! The glory! The Lord God is for men. He's putting together a goddamn army. I know the place. You're not gonna mention this conversation to anyone, are you? No. Uh, uh, oh yeah. Alright, well, that was a good answer. And then he caps the scene off by calling that guy he's a good girl. Just like <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they're like I feel like Neville Dean and Taylor of all the directors of Cage movies so far are one are some of the very few who would tell Cage, no, 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 no. go bigger. Like yeah. just go bigger. Yeah, I was actually I was I was just gonna say the same thing, you know, like I bet they seem like the kind of guys who see more in him than he might, right? Like where he thinks he's giving it his all. I could I could totally see them giving him pep talks being like Oh man, like you've got another one in you. I know you could find that place that you've never reached or something, you know, cuz just granted they these guys just seem insane, right? From from what I've seen, <laughs> like they are like hanging off the back of motorcycles on rollerblades like filming this stuff. Like they are hanging off the sides of cliffs and castles and being pulled on strings all over. Like these guys are like extreme filmmakers in the sense that there are extreme athletes. The way that they, I don't know, I guess the way that they live, the way that they make movies, the way that they tell stories it's just so great like i feel like if we didn't have the crank movies you could look at jason statham and be like oh he's just like this brooding tough guy but like they're sort of the same thing like just like no no no, like don't care about like how you come off just like go bigger go bigger go bigger and i think that maybe because of those movies i don't know if this is gonna be true or not but like maybe because like they saw him do something more he got cast in spy and he's just he's incredibly funny in that movie they can sort of take somebody and like make them crazier and bigger than life and draw like Mike was saying, like, you know, I got you got another one in you, like you got another level you can hit, like just keep going. Another moment that I really, really like in this movie is and it reminds me, we were talking about how the National Treasure movies are sort of like copies of Indiana Jones. There's a scene in this that reminded me of a moment in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Danny's mom is laying on the ground, and there's that guy who's about to kill her, right? And he kinda gets distracted, and, like she throws a knife at him. And he catches the knife. He's like, ha, is that all you got? And then she pulls out a gun and just shoots him. It reminds me of that scene in Raiders where Indy's facing that guy with like the whip. And he's doing all these like crazy maneuvers. And then Indy just takes out his gun and shoots him. It's such a nice little moment that, you know, this guy's like this ultimate badass. Like just caught a knife thrown in his head and then just gets shot and killed because the woman sort of has one up. I just love that little moment. I liked it too for her because she kept getting like the crap beat out of her. Every time she tried to put up light fight, they were just like pushing her down. I was happy to see her finally get one of the bad guys. Yeah, I was really surprised how beat up she got in this movie. Like her ex-boyfriend like literally punches her. Like it does a cage punch, right? I mean like, yeah. uh, what is, where are we, Summer Isle? I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, these, these last like 10 or so movies, they've been not been kind to women. That's true, that's true. She isn't exactly the strongest character. I mean, she slept with the devil, so bad choice right off the bat. Sure. It's hard to sympathize with her, and I think even Ghost Rider has a hard time sympathizing with her. He's like, oh, big deal, we all made deals with the devil, you know? Like, join the human race. But uh, at least towards the end there, you know, she is doing these things, or trying to save her son, and doing, you know, she's on the side of the right, and she does get to do some cool driving, and shoot a couple guns and yeah. you know she does have, what is she she's a gypsy arms dealer i ha- i have no idea <laughs> really trophy girlfriend really slash uh, devil's baby mama <laughs> single single mom making it work and so right after that scene where she kills the guy with a the gun then we see all the bad guys and they're buying the bunker buster from that like arms dealer and the bunker buster is basically like a bazooka kind of and they shoot one at Cage and it misses. And then they shoot another at Cage. And it propels him into the air and it explodes. I'm like, yeah, we got him. And then he comes down. He's totally okay because he's Ghost Rider at this point. They start taunting him. And I'm like, why are you taunting this guy? <laughs> he just survived two, like, missile blasts. And then they just, like, start pulling, like, pouring him full of bullets. I'm like, that's not doing anything. The bad guys in this movie are dumb 
but they're sort of dumb, I guess, intentionally so, that they're just like, we're just regular goons, like, we don't know how to deal with this, like, we're just gonna make fun of him, or we're gonna pour him full of bullets, and then we never get a close-up on any of them, because then he just, like, kills everybody immediately. I really like how they tried to use a concussion bomb on him, right? Because he's he's on fire, so they're like, oh, like, if we could, like, put him out, maybe that'll stop him. Like, that's what I got from from that situation. They actually do manage to sort of turn out his flame a couple times, and I thought that was a really awesome yeah. way of showing that, like, he's kind of weak, or he took a heavy hit, or a hard blow, or something. But then one, t- one time they hit him with a bunker buster, and he does that weird sort of 360 spin off the ground like he's levitating i was like i don't know what that mm-hmm. is supposed to mean oh, yeah. <laughs> but it looks cool as hell i wrote down that he is it, it, it threw him like for a literal loop like he's just like floating around like hovering like six feet above the ground and then just like looks down and they show his skull like upside down on screen it's just like oh like that did that did not work like time for plan b the midair spin and then the the lava bullet vomit were my favorite parts of that scene. <laughs> I loved those. They like, took the action and just went a step further, and I was so happy they did it. And Cage kind of takes care of business here. He, like, kills all the goons. And I think this is the scene where he kills the main guy he's facing, who will soon be, as we talked about earlier, be resurrected and sort of become, like, this embodiment of death. And they bring Danny to the second group of monks, maybe the same as the first group, who knows, <laughs> But it's led by Christopher Lambert, uh, Raiden from the Mortal Kombat movies, and also from Highlander. Anything else that I'm missing? Any other major movies, Mike? Um, not off the top of my head. I was definitely going to say Highlander if you missed it. But he's way younger than I thought. He's only yeah. he's 58 now. But like I just assumed when Mortal Kombat came out, you know, in '95, that he would have been older. But he must have been 30, 40 at in, at '95. So like I don't know. It just I had this idea that he was way older than he is, but he sort of, like, looks the same. How I recognize him right away was just that voice. Like, he's got such a iconic, wonderful voice. Yeah, I mean, I think he looks the same he did during Highlander, to be honest. Yeah. It's just weird. Like, it's one of those guys who, to me, never changed. But you're right, that voice was awesome. I wish that he was doing some voiceover at some point in the middle of this movie. Yeah. Uh, like, it's cool that we get Cage. Like, I actually kind of liked the use of voiceover in this. Like, It comes up here and there, and, and it almost reminded me of like when you read a comic, how they have sort of the box, the text inside the box, and that's what the yep. character's thinking. And it's almost like like, oh, he, this is the text in the box while we're looking at the panel. I thought it, it translated pretty well. I agree there. I think it would have been nice to have Christopher Lambert do some voiceover because in the first one, we had Sam Elliott do it. I mean, like, there's not very many voices that you can sort of put up near Sam Elliott's, but I think Christopher Lambert is probably close. I don't know. I love Idris Elba's accent in this. You know, he's yeah. putting it on, man. This guy's having so much fun in this movie, and I'm having fun watching him do his thing. He's playing a crazy French priest, wino, with a sort of hunchback. He might just be really hurt. Who knows? I don't know. I thought hunchback just because of Notre Dame and stuff. But yeah, he, he's electric in this movie. It's, he's hilarious. Decisions are being made in this movie. Like, we don't know what the, like, what the reason for those decisions are, but like people are choosing things about their character and sticking with it and who knows what the backstory is but like crazy accent crazy sort of walk just great i wonder if he was filming thor around this time and just kept the contact lenses in that he used for his (laughs) character in that movie and then was like well i'm gonna be in these two movies they're both comic movies i really gotta go over the top with one of them actually what's sort of interesting to point out not about idris elba but in that same similar vein that you said keep the contact lenses in apparently it took so much time for them to put the crazy tattoos on Christopher Lambert's face that he would just go back to his hotel at night in full face makeup and like just like leave those tattoos on through the entire shooting process so like on set like it's totally normal like we're making a movie but like walking around in real life like terrifying ew that's so gross he didn't wash his face well, I'm sure he washes his face. I don't know. I mean, I don't really know how movie <laughs> tattoos work. I'm sure that they're not going to run just from water. I don't know. I don't know. That's gross to think about, but that's a committed actor. Right after he meets up with Christopher Lambert, he loses his powers, or he gets his powers taken away because Idris Elba, that's, like, that was their deal. Like, you bring Danny here, I'll remove your curse. And so he removes the curse, and then right after he does, all the monks are like, well, we're going to go kill the boy because like, we can't have hell on Earth. And Cage's like, wait, what? Like, I can't, like that, This is the worst time. And, like, I just lost my powers. I can't do anything to defend him. Yeah, I love how Johnny Blaze just, he is the worst deal maker in his entire, you know, like, ever. <laughs> <laughs> he just should stay away from deals 
for the rest of his life because first he made a deal with the devil and got turned into the rider, and now he made this deal to get rid of his powers, and he needs them more than ever. <laughs> it's just maybe it's timing, but guys should just quit while he's ahead. The whole idea was to take the boy to the sanctuary because the devil is going to use him and sort of transfer his consciousness into the boy so that he could survive inside that vessel for a really long period of time, right? Like right. That, that's, mm-hmm. that's sort of the devil's objective. The ghost rider is supposed to take the boy to this monastery and just wait out the equinox or, you know, the rising or the timing. And because as we learned from the first movie, the devil shouldn't be able to go on hallowed ground, right? Yeah, they carry that over. That's Which fun. makes sense. Yeah. And then the monks, <laughs> they can't wait. It's funny. It's like, we can't <laughs> wait to, uh, till the equinox. Like, we're just going to kill the boys the safest way. And, you know, they're not wrong or anything like that. But, like, it is very, it does seem like they're going back on their word. Like, they, this is not part of the deal. You know, that's what I got from it. It's like, hey, I did what I was going to say and you did what you were going to say. But now you're doing something you didn't say you were going to do. And it's because they kind of break that deal that shit hits the fan, Carrigan, the main guy that Cage has been going against, sort of catches up to them, and he transports Christopher Lambert, like, he's sort of, I don't want to, like, he's not death, but, like, we can just call him death, maybe, because he kills everything around him, and he transports Christopher Lambert to, like, this other realm, I think, like, headbutts, like, just does crazy stuff, and, like, in this other realm, Christopher Lambert is no use, like, he's no match for this guy. What's and going on with his powers exactly? Like when he, I have no idea. Because <laughs> like, okay, I get the idea that like he makes things decay. Like I was just calling him decay because like I right, just, okay, like, that, okay. I'm just not creative, and that's what he does. Um, when he sort of creeps up on you, like your entire world goes black. You go like get sucked into some black void and can't hear or see anything, and then he just kind of like touches you and you crumble into dirt and stuff. But are you physically transported some? Somewhere is a question that's never answered, really. It seems like you are, though, isn't it? Or at least, I don't know if you're like just visualizing that or if you're actually brought somewhere else, but it seems like he's brought into some other realm. Yeah. I took it as like Neville Dean and Taylor trying to stylize his powers more. Because he does, I mean, I don't know. Like, I really don't know. <laughs> sort, sort of like how they stylized Cage's powers in the first movie? Maybe. I mean, or just to show, like, this is how scared he makes people that they get, like, petrified and they can't hear or see anything. And then before you know it, like, there he is, like the boogeyman or something. I had no idea. That was going to be one of my questions. If that was, like, (laughs) them as the directors, like, making a style choice to do that, or if he was making people, like, lose their minds go and black out into like a weird world i was very confused and i did not like it i did like his powers except for that part. <laughs> well because what we know like we don't know how he does what he does or what exactly he does but we do see the after effects right like they're all mm-hmm. sort of become like these calcified statues that they're just no longer even like they're just like human shape they're not even humans anymore that we know the end result just like how we get there i don't know <laughs> I didn't realize that he could control it until later. I thought, like, no matter what he did, the whole thing would just decay. But then, like, later, when he's with Cage and he's touching him, it's, like, sort of decaying for a second and then going back to normal, which was even creepier. Yeah, I guess he sort of learns to control it a little better by the end, and he can, yeah. toy, he can like, toy with him. That was pretty cool. And what I like is that even though Cage is sort of outmanned and outgunned here and no longer has his powers and can't even stand up to these monks, let alone Decay or whatever you want to call him, he gets back with Danny's mom and with Idris Elba and he just says, you know, like, I'm committed to this. Like, let's, let's go get him back. And they go to like this, basically like this massive industrial compound. There's like 23 guys or something out on patrol. He and Idris Elba sort of sneak up and get in. Danny's mom is, like, sniping them. Idris Elba does this thing that I've seen in a bunch of movies, and I will never not love it. When it's, like, one against two, he, like, tosses a thing in the air, and one of the guys always looks for, like, like has to catch it because he can't let the thing break. And then while they're watching the thing go up in the air, he just kills both guys. Like, I love that. I don't know why I love that. Like, it's such a thing that I've seen over and over again. But it just, I just think it's a cool moment. It's always so effective, I think is why. And it's yeah. funny, too. That's the other thing. It's just like an instinct is to catch something that's thrown at you, you know? And so it's just something like you can't control. He's smart to, to remember that bit, and uh, he pulls it off. I just love Idris Elba in this movie. Like, he kicks ass. He's funny. He's doing, like, a bit of the James Bond thing in here with the sneaking around. Like, he can work in a team, and he's good to go. But unfortunately, he's not too long for this world because he eventually gets you know way outclassed and gets killed here so mm. i mean it's kind of like we don't really have i guess i guess donald Logue died in the first one but it's sort of rare i think 
in cage movies or maybe just in movies in general for like such a definitive end to someone right like they i feel like movies are sort of on a whole cautious about killing off main characters but here like they're just like no he's gone like he died yeah, I think especially comic book films, because they want to keep that franchise going just in case, you know, right. and keep that actor attached to it. But I think it speaks to Neville Dean and Taylor and their anti-establishment take on filmmaking and stuff, right? And it's like, no, we're going to do this thing where, like, yeah, clearly Idris Elba could have become the next writer or gone on to more movies, and how great would that have been? But no, we're going to kill him off, because, like, that'll just sort of immortalize him or something, or it's just not what you would, you know, normally expect expect from a comic book film of this caliber of someone of his character it's kind of cool how he tries to hang on there he's definitely out of his league and and this was another moment where i just wish that he like whipped out some angel wings and you know was going fist to cuffs with this dk guy (laughs) it would have been great but unfortunately i guess i guess the real thing here is that it's not about him like that would sort of be yeah like i would love to see that because that'd be cool but the, the whole thing here is can cage save the day even without powers and he goes there and rourke is gonna kill him and then danny walks over and i guess he he wants danny to kill him right because he wants to sort of like see what he's see what power like does rourke ask danny to kill ghost rider kill cage no, I don't think he actually says anything. I think he wants them to, because they were sort of into their little Dan tr- mind transfer <laughs> process. So I thought maybe he thought that Danny would definitely want to kill Cage now. That's why he let him get so close. There's some weird father issues going on in this film. If I could just take a moment to try and address <laughs> what's actually happening sure. with this dynamic. That's another thing that carried over from the first movie, so yeah. it's, it's right at home in the Ghost Rider franchise. feels like Johnny and Danny kind of form a bond throughout this film, right? And he tells him, you know, our powers come from a dark place, but that's not who we are. It's almost like, don't let it define you, right? Like, you know, you're still a good person despite what you're made of and all this kind of thing. And, and I think that really gets to him, especially when his real dad the devil right okay strike one comes to him and is basically like you know why i wanted to meet you because i'm gonna steal your body and you're gonna die how's that sound let's go hang out for like the last five minutes you have to live we're gonna go do this chanting dance kind of thing in front of the world's you know most richest elite in, in this crazy ceremony and stuff and so it's at the end devil's son is like dad let me do it like i'll make you proud this whole thing and and then he you know turns on his dad it's like the old double cross and he turns on him in spectacular fashion that it looks like he's gonna go over there and kill cage or kill johnny blaze but instead he just breathes fire into cage's mouth and resuscitates him as ghost rider like it's awesome i mean the only thing that we sort of had visually like this earlier in the movie is when cage is shooting at those fire bullets here it's kind of in reverse he's kind of getting life breathed back or maybe not life breathed into him like death breathed into him like it's it's great i didn't expect it and it was really great i was so excited about it i didn't think that that was going to happen i don't know what i thought was going to happen but not that yeah, I knew he had to get his powers back somehow, but I was just like, "There's, I have no idea how this is going to happen. So it was helpful that the little boy was like, we have the same powers, right? Like, I'm the devil, basically. And the dad's like, that's right. And then so he <laughs> basically makes him a new ghost rider, or he rechristens him, Spirit of Vengeance. Sort of two movies in a row, right? Cage kind of gets reborn at the end a little bit as a Spirit of Vengeance. Like, this is when he does that that chain whip that kills all the goons. And then they go on that chase. Like, this movie's had several chase scenes. For a movie that's really not about... I mean, it's about motorcycles, but, like, there's a lot of chase scenes in this movie, right? Yeah, it's almost all chase scenes. But I appreciated that because we get to see him on his bike, right? I mean, that's where he does his job. I, I like that they utilized him on his bike as much as they did and you know doing chases like that is a great way to do it and they're just always fun to watch too and here we're in europe on these mountain cliffs with these wide open roads and it's all just like it's country but it's not very familiar so it's like got this weird sort of otherworldly view for me this final scene is by far my favorite thing in almost any i mean i'm not even going to go out on a limb when i say this like visually this is like probably my favorite thing i've seen in like any superhero movie ghost rider in the daytime looks amazing he looks so awesome to me and i'm loving this final chase sequence i was really worried when they were going into it like when after he got his powers back and it was starting the sun was starting to rise i was like oh no we're gonna have another scene where he's dodging in and out of shadows Mm -hmm. then he like walked into the sun and i felt like he got more powerful 
I like that they basically, this is another whole thing where it's just like, you know, continuity of the first movie doesn't matter. Like, we're doing our own thing, and we want to have this amazing chase scene, and we're going to do something you didn't see in the first movie. And I wanted it so bad, like, in that first movie. I, I, I sort of just had an issue that he was too much of a werewolf, right? Like, he just couldn't come out during the day, or you know, like a vampire or something. And, and this is great, because it just solidifies him as original against those types of creatures and those types of characters and stuff like he can exist and go fight crime in a major city you know in the afternoon if you really need him to it's just a tribute to all the different ways this character can fit into what you need you know all the different ways you can fit this character daytime nighttime you know you can change his origin you could do whatever and it, it just seems to be able to fit whatever you want him to do he, like, takes out both of these bad guys in, like, tremendous fashion. He sort of stares Decay to death. So what's his power? Uh, the penance stare. That's basically what he does here, right? First he jumps on the Humvee or the armored truck right, or something, right. and, he, and he transforms that. And then they do, he does a fist fight with the Decay guy on the hood of a car. They couldn't even pull this off in the Matrix, really. Like, <laughs> this looks this looks awesome. Like, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but, like, I was so excited in the end of this movie that I was like, yeah, I fucking love this shit. <laughs> And he kind of penance stares Decay, and he just sort of, he finally dies. And then, I don't even know how to describe how he kills Rourke, gets rid of Rourke. He kind of, like, slams his chain and creates, like, a, a tunnel or, like, a pathway down to hell. How would you describe what he does? He sort of, like, lassos him. I don't even know how he got on the end of the chain. I can't remember. I just know that he, like... He did. He like threw him up in the air and then pulled him down so hard that he just <laughs> fell through all the layers of the earth he, into hell. This is kind of the only time he was able to lasso someone. He did it a couple times in the first movie because he had to fight the other demons and stuff. But in this one, every time he tried it, they just got turned into ashes immediately. So it was cool that they could even bring back that sort of southern cowboy feel they tried to put into the first movie where he was doing the lasso and all that kind of and it's like doing you know basically the roundup on the devil here and yeah that is so funny how he just slams him back to hell like he hits the ground so hard that like literally digs a tunnel to the center of the earth oh it's so great and then i think it's danny at the end right who says like did we win and cage is like i'm gonna say yes Hell yes. And then the movie just ends. Like, you know, we, we beat the bad guys. Like, what else? Like, the story's over. Like, this is it. Like, you know, kids safe. Beat the bad guys. Like, all right, go home. Like, that's the movie. Did we win? I'm going to say yes. Hell yes. Yeah, it was, that was the funniest ending line. I don't know how many ending lines you guys are keeping track of, but I thought that was a really good one. It's close, I would say, to Birdie. I don't think it's as good as Birdie's end. But it- <laughs> yeah, Birdie was just so unexpected. But this I was kind of expecting a hell yeah coming at the end, so I'm, I'm glad we got it. But we also get a bit of a change in the Ghost Rider, if you don't remember. Little Danny didn't actually survive the car crash, and he is dead, but Ghost Rider is able to feel the angel inside of him, right? The oh, angel. right, his, his, yeah. his blue flame. Yeah, and he turns from orange and red to blue, and he's sort of like a new level of Ghost Rider at the end of this, where he can bring people back to life, and <laughs> like, he's more holy now, I suppose, than satanic. I mean, I guess it makes sense, though, like, if he can bring death, he should maybe also be able to bring life? So I don't know if this is in the comics whatsoever, but I really like this just because it evolves the character here, you know? It just feels more like he went through an arc because we see a physical change in, in his presence as well. And and I actually buy it now more than in the first one, I think, because he was sort of very much against his powers in this, but now that he has him back, I believe him much more than in the end of the first one that, that he wants to keep him. When he saved the kid... I was thinking, since he has that power, is that why he's in the sun? Is it because mm. he, like, re not renegotiated, but he got his powers back in a different way? So now is, like, the spirit of justice also coming out? It made me think a lot. Probably too much. <laughs> But I like that at least it made you sort of think about it after you turned it off for a second or two, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's, I feel like that's, I feel like that's a job well done for the movie <laughs> in a lot of ways. It's like, it, it gets you invested. Absolutely. Like, like, this could be just sort of like a regular, like a popcorn movie almost, like you just like enjoy the crazy action, but like there are sort of like deeper things here that like you don't have to think about, but 
you can. Like, they sort of give you that opportunity. I, th- I think people have too high of expectations for a property like Ghost Rider. And, and the first one, they really tried to polish it up and make it glossy and sell it to everybody. And this time around, it seems like they know what they're working with more. And they got these crazy guys working on it. And they have this low budget. And they're doing a lot more with a lot less. And it's just stripped down. And you let these guys go make their little Ghost Rider movie and leave them alone and see what they come back with. I don't I don't think this is rated R, is it? But it's got no. PG-13. I could see them doing an R-rated Ghost Rider, though. You know, like, that would be the perfect rating for it. And these guys do a good job making a fun PG-13 horror action comic book film. A couple other things I want to mention real quick at the end about characters and names so we can sort of go back and see if there's anything else we want to talk about. Ava Mendes was apparently offered a role in this movie, and she said no. The other Ava, Ava Longoria, was considered for the role of Nadia. I don't know if they ever offered it to her or if they just didn't or they're just considering her. But, you know, the two Avas in Hollywood, neither of them were in this movie. And apparently Danny is named after Daniel Ketch, who was the second Ghost Rider and Johnny Blaze's long-lost brother. Hmm. So I don't know anything about the, the Ghost Rider comic books. I think we sort of talked about how we're all kind of a little bit ignorant to the comic books in the first episode. But it's just, I guess that's sort of like another thing. Like, I don't know if it's, you know, he carries on in his way or if they sort of ghost ride together. I don't know. But it's a cool little, I guess, cool little shout out to people who know the comics. I don't think they cared about people who know the comics throughout this film, but that was nice. Melissa, anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't we didn't mention yet? Yes, I'm looking through my notes because I don't know where it happened. Oh, yes. I don't know if this is a Cage connection, but in the diner, and it's Danny and Cage, and he's like, touches his face, and he's like, oh, there was a bee there. And oh, I yeah. kept thinking about the Wicker Man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great catch. Terrific. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else, or was that no, your... No, that, that was it. That's, that's all I got. That's a great one. Uh, Mike, anything that we didn't cover? No. Okay. Not this time. <laughs> so thank you, Melissa, for joining us. for wrapping up our Ghost Rider series here on Cage Club. Thank you. I'll be back for National Treasure 3, if it ever happens. Whenever it happens. <laughs> uh, for all things Cage, you can go to cageclub.me. You can read our reviews, find past podcasts, follow us on Twitter, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. All things Cage at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Mike Manzi. That's Melissa Lynham, and we'll see you next time on Cage Club. Cage Club.